The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Welcome, everybody, to episode 34 of the Ascent of Board Games. We're back. We're inoculated. We're ready to start doing things in person in Meat Space. It's very exciting. This is being recorded in mid-May 2021, and last week we had kind of a momentous occasion. Three of us and a friend of the show, John, got together in a house to play board games with our physical hands. It was, it was very exciting. It was so gross. So gross. <laughs> Joe was just like, well, I'm never doing that again. Mm. I've gone a year without touching people. Ugh, do not want. <laughs> so weird. Obviously, we are not out of the woods yet from a pandemic perspective, but things are certainly looking a lot better, and we are wanting to talk a little bit about the games that we are most anxious to get to the table after a year and a half of doing board game arena and tabletop simulator and imaginary board games. Virtual sounds better. Imaginary sounds like they're not actual games that people put effort into, which is not true. I mean, imaginary games, aren't those just your solo games? Uh, no. If, if if Brian plays a, a game by himself and nobody's around to see it, is it real? Well, probably not. Mike, I'm the only person that actually exists. You're all basically constructs of my subconscious, so I don't care if you enjoy it or not. Oh, well. <laughs> I just think it's worth noting that when Tabletop Simulator has run out of achievements to give you, you probably have played it too much. <laughs> you've, you've done literally all the things. What, 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 are, you, what are you saying, Jason? <laughs> I mean, that's not me, Mike. That's you. But like, what, I'm, what, I'm what close you, behind you. <laughs> we basically thought that we would do a slightly non-standard episode talking about the games that we want to get to the table most. This is going to be the games that we've bought or had Kickstarter deliver or been looking at over the course of the past 15 odd months that have been taunting us and saying, punch me out and play me. And then we will mock each other's choices and say that we're all terrible people and it'll be just like old times. So uh, Jason, why don't you lead us off and tell us about a game that you are really excited to get on the table Sure. I've talked about this one before. It's it's called Reich Buster's Project Vril. Mm-hmm. It's another bucket-o-plastic game from our good friends at Mythic Games. And uh, the reason I'm so excited about it is part of my uh, COVID insanity projects was taking all those miniatures and quick shading them and spraying them down with a matte varnish. So now they all look like they kind of have a, I don't know if you've ever seen the sun drop effect from mm-hmm. our good friends over at uh, Awaken Realms, but kind of similar to that. And uh, I've killed enough brain cells doing that process that I feel like I have to get this to the table to justify it. <laughs> but the idea here is Reichbusters is kind of really similar to V Commandos, but far less serious. Basically, you're playing a squad of four allied heroes that span from American, British, Russian, a couple other of uh, the allied powers. And you go on missions where basically you infiltrate, what do they call the Reichmeisters, I think, something like that. The stand-in for the Nazis, you break into their compounds and you're trying to accomplish some mission. Sometimes you're stealing plans, sometimes you're assassinating a specific Vrilminster, or maybe you're trying to rescue someone. And it's kind of broken into two distinct phases. There's the pre-alarm phase where you're very much like V-Commandos sneaking around and trying to avoid causing too much noise and getting too much attention and triggering the alarm. And then there's the post-alarm phase where it's like, well, screw it, we've been found, just go balls to the wall. Shoot everybody. Yeah, machine gun everything. And it's cool because like the different characters have their own unique decks and so like from a mechanics perspective you take two actions on your turn they're like things like move open doors attack an enemy pick up items whatever but where it really shines is you also have your deck of cards that allow you to take additional actions on top of that and there's no limit to the number of cards you can spend so like if you're one of those hey i'm just a character that's real noisy and i just kill all the things you can spend the whole pre-alarm phase just building up your deck you know just spending all your actions collecting cards then you're like, hey, the alarm's triggered. Cool. I'm going balls to the wall with my two machine guns just unloading on all these you know, <laughs> quasi-Nazis doing my job. 
Whereas, you know, the other players are like, hey, I'm the guy with a bow and arrow. I've been sneaking around and taking out people strategically without generating a sound. And now we're in the place that we need to be. And, oh, crap, the alarm's triggered. Well, I'm useless. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Since this is a mythic game, of course, there's the absolutely required errata because they just can't help themselves. And uh, I just got notification earlier this week that they should be shipping it to me shortly. So I'm very much looking forward to the piles of free cards and the new updated rule books and the corrected tokens. Jason, Uh I'm starting to get the feeling that Mythic Games is really just using Kickstarter as a pool of playtesters. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's real weird. Yeah, like, I'll be honest, I've played the game pre-errata, and, like, it plays fine. None of the problems were, like, Game Breaker or anything. Mostly the changes they made were, like, hey, every hero has, like, two unique keywords that are kind of the special flavor that makes them unique. And, like, it was a real pain in the ass going into the manual and saying, okay, I don't remember what ambush means, or I don't remember what vicious means. They've replaced every hero card with a description of what those powers actually are. Most of the fixes are pretty mundane, honestly. It's like, yeah, we had a typo here, or we didn't explain this properly here. Or, in one case, hey, we printed an entire uh, page of tokens that are in French. Whoopsie. (laughs) (laughs) That's feeling more like mythic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the same folks that did Conan, right? Yeah, yeah they, they collaborated with Monolith on that, yeah. I was going to say, they didn't take the Conan approach and just print the double-sided, eight-point font description of all of the keywords? They did. It was in the rulebook, and it was a giant pain in the ass with four players saying, hey, I don't remember what Vicious does. Give me the rulebook again. And of course, you've also got managing all the enemies. And I played it without the updates, and it's just like, oh, there's a lot of keywords to keep track of. There's a campaign system where you can get new keywords, so it, it just kind of spirals out of control, and my memory is not good enough, probably from all the fumes from the Quickshade. Uh, to remember these things. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to playing it with four people, because that's kind of the ideal, especially with you guys, because like, compared to V Commandos, you'll be like, oh, this is so easy. <laughs> I don't die immediately. I love fighting some pseudo-Nazis. <laughs> yeah, and it's way out there with like super science nonsense. So like, there's literally, um, ah, what the hell are they called? I can't remember. There's literally like giant armored, basically walking mecha tanks that you can fight. And uh, all the heroes, almost every single one of their cards are really bad puns. Like just painful, painful puns. (laughs) So uh, I think you guys will get a kick out of it. It's certainly not to be taken seriously. Oh, good. All right, Mike, what's the first thing you're going to slap down on the table? I have not purchased all that many games during the course of the pandemic. It's really nice having friends to do that for me. Thank you. (laughs) But the one thing that I have consistently been getting is actually the new content for Aeon's End. We talked about this game early, early, early. It's a deck-building, cooperative, fight-the-big-bad-guy wizard game. And throughout the entire pandemic, they have had, I think, three? I want to say it's three. It might only be two. Successful Kickstarters. This is uh, indie board and card games, and I really love just their efficiency with their Kickstarters. There are basically no frills on them. It's purchase new thing, purchase new thing and previous thing, Purchase all the things. That's pretty much their options. I don't think they understand how Kickstarter works. I mean, they definitely don't. I have gotten every single one of their Kickstarters in a fairly timely manner, and they have all been great. Oh, that can't be a Kickstarter then. You're clearly mistaken. Right. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to playing some of the post-Aeons and Legacy content. They have several campaigns that are legacy light which I think is becoming a new trend in board games, where it's like, hey, here is a campaign-based game with some legacy-like components, but is not legacy. Mm -hmm. And I really want that to be successful, because as much as I love legacy games, they are... Destructive. Yeah. But also, Aeon's End is just a solid, good gaming cooperative experience. Yeah, I I think another, maybe a better name for Legacy Light is Narrative. They take the narrative pieces of Legacy and use it to unlock content inside the game. I think that might be a good way to phrase it, as opposed to Legacy Light. And, like, just to narrow in on the parts that I'm excited about, is, like, the narrative experience in Aeon's End still has envelopes that you open that expose new things that you add to your stuff. And I'm like, that's, I think, a good sustainable way for them to do the legacy component. 
because they also did Legacy really differently by having it be a, what is in essence, extended character creation, Mm -hmm. which hadn't really been done in a Legacy game yet, so... I'm excited. Now, is this something you actually spent your own money it on? It is. It's, it's really weird. That it must be good, then. It's Aeon's Inn. Aeon's Inn's great. I'm trying to see if I can find a quick list of the actual names of the expansions that have come out since the pandemic started. So we've got The New Age, which I think was the first one. And then I think Outcasts was the other one that more recently came out. The most recent one is, is Legacy of Gravehold, according to oh, Kickstarter. that's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. Which I don't know if that one has shipped yet. It has not, according to the internet. Here's the real question. Have they outpaced Dominion yet? Maybe wow, they might have. Probably. Yeah, maybe. Gosh, yeah. wow. In terms yeah. of raw cards, I mean, like, I'm looking at the Legacy of Greathold site, and they're like, it's 900 cards in just Legacy of Greathold. <laughs> what up? <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I remember, I remember when the new one came out, I was like, oh, I haven't played a lot of Aeon's End. I really enjoyed it. And I looked at the all-in, and I'm like... Oh, no, 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 this isn't going to happen. I'm just going to use someone else's. This is insane. <laughs> There's way too much going yeah. on here. They're prolific, let's say. And the content's oh, yeah. been good. Like, it's still quality. Like, everything I've heard has been nothing but positive. Like, it's incredible that they've been this consistent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I look forward to playing more Aeon's End. I, I really like that thing. I'm glad I didn't have to buy it. I kind of fell off of buying more Aeon's End because they were just so prolific. So I'm, I'm glad someone kept up with it. Don't worry, John. I picked up the slack for you. <laughs> jumped on that grenade for us. <laughs> Now, the one that we've all been waiting for, Frank, what madness have you got lying in wait? Oh, yeah, I have a lot of madness. The big one is Adventure Tactics Domain's Tower, which I'm sure you've all heard of. Obviously. It's by uh, Letterman Games, designer's Nicholas Yu, and it's kind of like Card Hunters, the board game. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's all boss fights. In a campaign co-op, uh, you know that drill. There's a little bit of story, but not like Madara. <laughs> Nothing is like Madara. I mean, your character consists of, yeah, a deck of cards and whatever items you have and then permanent powers. Again, all boss fights, kind of a branching campaign. The charm of this one is whenever you get a new level at the end of a battle, you choose a level in whatever class you want. You know, the standard fighter, mage, ranger, warrior, whatever, and that gives you a set of cards and possibly a permanent power. But you can choose any class. So you can be a fighter magic user rogue. But also there are 15 like prestige classes, which, you know, if you have like fighter magic user, you can become a warlock and start taking levels in warlock, which is has its own different powerful cards. So it's very much kind of that deck builder card hunter thing. Was this a Kickstarter, Frank? It was a Kickstarter, but I bought it retail, and it's available through retail. Retail? What's that? It's the way you should actually probably buy games if they're going to be available through retail, because you can read reviews and things. Support your friendly local gaming store, which is important. Yeah. Oh, it's got miniatures. You should have led with that. <laughs> well, if It has a few miniatures. <laughs> a few miniatures, but standees for monsters. It all fits in one box. Even with the hero expansion. I like the art. That's kind of cool. Oh, yeah, the art's cute. The designer was going for something that's Final Fantasy Tactics, which isn't really. There's not enough terrain. Yeah, that's a, that's that, a that's lofty a big goal to set for Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the most beloved uh, tactical RPGs ever. I mean, yeah, didn't no, it totally. establish tactical RPGs for no, most people? No, it, I mean, for most people, maybe, but tactical RPGs have existed since Nintendo. Oh, God, what is it? Uh, Fire Emblem was oh, first, man. I think. Ogre Battle would be a, Battle. a good classic first. Although, one. Ogre Battle and Final Fantasy Tactics, sorry, we're veering into our I was going to say, game. I don't even know what's happening right now. <laughs> Ogre Battle and Final Fantasy Tactics have this weird interrelated history that is, if you're ever in the mood for just an interesting internet dive, go read the history between those two games. It's pretty cool. Or just watch Mike streaming them. And if you want to hear more, you can join Mike and Frank's JRPG podcast. I'm in. Frank, let's do this. Oh, Jump up and high totally. five. Go for it. The power of our friendship will save the day. Yeah. Speaking of saving the J, Joe, tell us about a different game. So I think the number one thing on my list is probably the Spirit Island expansion. That came functionally halfway through the pandemic. It adds another player. It adds a bunch of new spirits. It has a bunch of new potential foes for you to face, and I'm really excited to get it to the table again, give some of these new spirits a try. Some of them look absolutely bonkers. 
which I really enjoy about that game is just like seeing how all the how your spirit interacts with the board and how each player's spirit interacts with each other. Being able to play it with one additional player is pretty nice, right? That was a an oft complaint. So I'm really excited to get that to the table and, and give it a try. Does that bring it up to five players then? Is that what the extra players? I think so. Let me go check. Yes, that is it's now a five player game. Man. Although it was a five player game before in a Kickstarter exclusive, which yeah. was infuriating. Yeah. Right. So now that it's not the right way to do that. <laughs> well, such so life. I mean, the Kickstarter exclusive is not the right way to do anything, in my opinion. Agreed. But, yeah. 100% agree. No, I'd love to play more Spirit Island. I always have a good time when I play with you guys. I'm awful at it, but uh, <laughs> maybe if I play enough of it, I'll get better. Yeah, I, I need to get that game back in my brain because I remember really enjoying it, but I couldn't tell you how to play it. So I'm anxious to look back, and now there's all exciting things that I don't know how to play added to it. It'll be great. The first one on my list is actually a little bit of a cheat because I know it was the first game we wanted to play after the pandemic because it was the first game we played after the pandemic. Last week, Joe and Mike and friend of the show, John, and I got together and started Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. This was one of those that arrived literally just as we were starting to lock down, and it was just kind of sitting on my shelf mocking me for the past year and change. So I'm very excited that we got that out and got it into play. I think we've played three games. We did like the prologue and we're we're now getting ready to start March. So far, it's a lot of fun. It feels like a Pandemic Legacy game. It's not exactly like Pandemic, but you can certainly see there's a lot of the shared DNA. And there are lots of boxes and envelopes and things to unlock. And we're already starting to have dark suspicions about where the storyline is going. But I'm in for the ride. It should be a lot of fun. And while I get the campaign, the Legacy of Light that Mike was talking about, I see the appeal of those. There is still something kind of visceral about making permanent changes and tearing up cards that that I'm enjoying getting back to. We had that experience again where, like, we got to the first card that it said, destroy this card. And we all kind of look at each other. We're like, are we, are we doing this? We do it? We're doing this. Destroy it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Dang right we are. I think Joe tried to eat the card, but the cards in, in Pandemic like uh, Legacy Season Zero are oddly tough. <laughs> oddly durable. Yes, I put wow. it in my mouth and tried to rip it, but I didn't have a good grip on it. And they're, they're a little more durable than normal cardstock, so it was just... It didn't go over great. Yeah, I think even the one that I tore with my hands took me two tries. Yeah, it's like a little, just a little tough. It's a little tough. You gotta work for it. You gotta. It's it's good roughage though. It's fine. They want you to just be absolutely sure. Yes. No, really. Do you mean it? They're gonna make the next set out of metal. It'll be great. Destroy this car. Good we luck. Can't. But comes with a small cool. foundry that you heat up to uh, destroy the cards. I'm reminded, we used to do a puzzle hunt every year. A guy named Eric Harshbarger did one in Auburn. He is a professional puzzle designer, and he had a lot of time and a fair bit of disposable income to come up with these. One of them fell on Easter weekend, and there was a series of eggs that we were finding as part of one of the puzzles. So, you know, the first one we found is like your, your typical little plastic dime store egg. And then there was like a paper mache egg, and then there was a wooden egg. And inside each of them, there was a clue to where the next one would be. So the last egg that we found was a solid piece of machined aluminum. (laughs) And we had to get inside it to get the clue. And it was fascinating to see what all the different teams did. One group went to the fire station, and they used the jaws of life on it. We found a guy at a hardware store who had like a diamond saw or whatever, but uh, that was that was quite an experience. <laughs> I would really love to see the conversation with the firefighters. I desperately need to get inside this egg, get the jaws of life. People tend to be fascinated by life. They're like, that's the weirdest thing ever. Now I have to know what's inside it. We did at one point just try getting a hacksaw and having one of our guys, you know, just work on it manually. But after about half an hour, <laughs> when he was about an eighth of an inch into the egg, we were like, I don't think this is going to work for us. <laughs> you know the best part about this story, Brian? Mm-hmm. We shouldn't say what's actually in it. We should keep them wondering. I don't even Forever. remember what was in it. It was probably a slip oh. of paper with coordinates on it. That is not the point. The journey is the destination, Mike. <laughs> All right, Jason. Uh, we finished the game of Reichbusters. What's up next? IDW is releasing. It hasn't even come out yet, but they're supposedly releasing in, in summer, so who knows? Maybe this will be out by the time the episode comes out. It is not out by the time the episode came out. Batman the Animated Series Adventures. It's a cooperative game, although you can play it versus if you want to have multiple players against a villain character. From the 1990s Batman Animated Series, 
as far as I can tell, nearly every episode of it is represented <laughs> in this board game. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Admit it, Jason. You just bought it for the artwork. I mean, I do have a very soft spot in my heart for that artwork. It was so good. It's basically timeless. Like, it's that weird art deco slash, like, 1940s style where it's just like, I don't know what year this is supposed to happen in, but everyone's driving cars from the 40s, and there's computers, but they're like Univac computers. <laughs> like It's sort of like the Archer universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like it, it's crazy. But, you know, of course, then you also have Batman with his bat wing that's got VTOL capabilities. Like, mm, all right, well, that's not from the 40s, but sure. Mike, to answer your question, he bought it for the minis, obviously. <laughs> oh, right, right. You know what? I'll be honest, Joe. I'm not super impressed with the minis so far. <laughs> they're pretty... Uh, Lackluster? Yeah, they're. Pr- I mean, I understand like it's animated, so it's fairly simplified. But like, honestly, I just bought it because I absolutely love the series. And my goal, and I hope I can actually do this when the game eventually comes out, is I want to watch the episode that is represented in the actual game <laughs> and then play that scenario. Because like, <laughs> as far as I can tell, whoever made this clearly loves it because they're they're pulling some deep cuts. You're like, wow, okay, <laughs> they're gonna have the gray ghost in this, huh? Okay, that's exactly in one episode. It was, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy who played Batman in the 60s show. Adam West. Adam West. He played the Great Ghost, you know, and that was what in- inspired Batman to become a superhero. Like, this is awesome. Yes, I thought but. bats were what inspired Batman to become a superhero. I thought it was when somebody killed his parent. I mean, also, <laughs> yes. You know what? You know what would really clear this up? I think we need, like, a new movie or something that shows the origin stories Jesus of Batman. Christ. Oh, yeah, because I'm not clear on the origin Well, story. clearly we're not. <laughs> well, you know it's bad when, like, he's getting origin stories in other people's movies, like Joker. You're like, God damn it, I don't need to see Batman's origin story in someone else's movie. Stop it. <laughs> in case you've missed it. What it sounds like to me, though, Jason, is you want to establish a weekly, what I'm going to dub as the Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> evening where we watch an episode we play the game sounds great i mean i'm in sign me up so here's the important question if it's a multiplayer game is only one of you batman and the others are just like random supporting heroes uh yeah for the most part if you've seen that character in a batman cartoon he is likely Mm -hmm. represented in the game at its core the game's a dice chucker right but the interesting part is like when you roll your dice you can also lend the dice that you have to the player either on your left or on your right so like you can kind of there's some mitigation for you and me, Brian, who can't roll worth a damn anyway. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, here, you can have this trash die that I can't do anything with, but it's really good for you. But yeah, like someone's Batman, someone's Robin, someone's Batgirl, you know, whoever. Can I play Jim Gordon? Oh, uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> and then they've got all the villains from the, the series and such. And they even have the head-to-head mode where one player can play as the villain against all the other players that are playing as heroes. Sure. But it's part of, and I have never played this before, but the IDW has an Adventures Universal game system where they did the, all of this with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And that that seems even more ridiculous because like, they went through like different comic versions of them, different animated series versions of them. Like They offered it as part of the Kickstarter. They're like, no, I'm just going to stick with Batman. Thank you. <laughs> now, of course, since this is IDW, I don't know if they fired or if he left of his own accord, but the guy who designed the system has left, but he's still doing promotional material for <laughs> the Batman series. Hmm. And the Kickstarter, they implied heavily in December that it had already gone in production, which they just recently announced that it hasn't gone to production because they hadn't approved final Oh, oh, dear. Yeah, like, oh my god. So this is going to be like probably another year based on how Kickstarters normally go. Mm-hmm. Hearing you describe that, I really would like a game like that for the old Spider-Man animated series <laughs> with Electro and the Rhino and the Green Goblin. I just, I, I feel like that, that needs to happen. Oh man, especially with that old art style and all yeah, the cars. That'd exactly. be crazy. Exactly. I'd probably back that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, do the whole thing where you get, like, a moderately successful modern band to do a dark, edgy cover version of the old theme song. And No, use the Ramones cover. <laughs> yeah. There is a pretty good recording of The Who doing the old Batman TV series theme. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> I'll, I'll awesome. have to find that in the show notes. It's great. <laughs> I wasn't joking, though. The Ramones did a cover of the Spider-Man I believe it. cartoon I believe team. it. I'm not sure if I do believe it, actually, because I think there's more than three chords in that. <laughs> I may be mistaken. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Weird. All right. Well, hot takes on Brian's opinion of the Ramones. No, no, I, no, I like the Ramones. They just have a very specific style of doing things. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> there was a album called Saturday Morning Favorites, and it's all covers of Saturday Morning cartoon theme songs. Oh, man. That sounds it is awesome. amazing. Excellent. Yeah. I'll have to look, look that up. It's, yeah. Correction. The album's actually called Saturday Morning. And there is a link in the show notes. Mike, 
What's next on your list? The only other game on my list that I actually have purchased was My City. And unfortunately for me, I don't think y'all are going to play this game with me. I'll do it. I have a copy too. Excellent. But this is the Legacy Light. Introducing rules as it goes. Flip a card and everybody does a thing. And that thing is building cities. Like, I don't know. I saw it. I looked at the art when we were talking about it. I did some research. I'm like, I think I could really dig this game. So I purchased it. It's like a roll and write legacy game. Ah, uh, there's the hook for like. Mm. Wasn't this a, is this Reiner Knizia? Yep, Reiner. Okay, that's what I thought. You can't argue with that pedigree. Like, that sounds promising. Oh, he's yeah. pretty good at games. So why, why, why were you so obsessed with it, Mike? I don't know. Like, I was reading about the actions that you take in the game, and I'm like, I like all of the things that this game is telling me. I like the spatial arrangement. Go on. Well, it's it's not. It's uh, spatial arrangement. Oh, your very favorite game that you're bad at. Hey, hey! I spent a year. <laughs> That's true. You have trained yourself. You have trained was, yourself. It was like an Eye of the Tiger montage <laughs> up in here. But like the spatial arrangement, score points based on where you've got your cities. The art's pretty stock standard for a Kinetia game. I don't know. There was just something about it, and it also wasn't that expensive, from what I remember. Yeah. And Cosmos is actually one of my favorite game publishers. They do stuff that's relatively light, often oddly thematic, and just generally a joy to play. So I actually look for Cosmos stuff. I mean, we'll be talking more about Cosmos a little bit later on my list as well. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. Totally. So, Frank, what else you got? Anyone heard of the initiative? Nope. Uh, it sounds vaguely you familiar. Should have, you should have. I was seeing that on the Geek for a while. Are we talking about the Avengers Initiative? Like, uh, no, no, <laughs> the only no, one just, I know of. It's just called the Initiative. It's by a designer you've heard of called Corey Kanixa. Kaneska. Oh, no, oh, yeah, never heard of it. Fantasy Flight fan. <laughs> this is actually a legacy-like game that is kind of a little bit like Wheel of Fortune, the legacy board game. <laughs> Oh, okay. 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 Stick no. No. Stick. Okay. Stop. <laughs> Let us define what is a legacy light as opposed to a legacy game. We've used it too many times this episode now. What is a legacy? I feel like a legacy light is basically a non-destructive legacy game. Yeah. So basically, you unlock things and they stay unlocked, but you're not ever permanently taking things out of the game or permanently stickering stuff to change it. Yeah. I think we need a different word then, because I do not like the phrase legacy light. That just doesn't... How is it different than a legacy game is really my question. Like, and if it's the destruction, I don't know if that's enough of a mechanic. I mean, like, it's surprising the first time you see it, sure, but like... Then let's just call them legacy games. I mean, yeah. the fact that you have a sticker... Let's just call it a legacy game. Sounds great. I'm down. Yeah. All right, while you guys have been arguing this, I read ahead, oh my god, Frank, I want this game so badly. (laughs) (laughs) See? (laughs) Okay, and I didn't even get to my 60 seconds to explain it. So, basically, in the initiative, you are a co-op legacy game where your teenagers in 1994 found a mysterious board game called The Key, and basically that's the game in the box is The Key. But it also comes with a comic book. So you read a page of the comic book about the teens who are playing the key. And every time this game changes. But the object of the key is to move around this kind of escape roomy spy tech place. And you're basically, as you find clues, you get to open up letters on this very Wheel of Fortune-like board. They give you either a code, an answer to something else in the game. And the object of each game, probably at first, is to just find this clue on this Wheel of Fortune board. It comes with a little clicky thing where when you find a symbol, you slide it down and reveal the letter or number behind it. So it's code-breaking, mystery, with evolving rules, kind of a legacy story. Oh, that looks great. Yeah. So is it a fixed length number of games? Yeah, totally. Huh, okay. The key part to this, Frank, was uh, players advance even if they lose the mission. I'm like, yes! (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And it's got some escape room like puzzles and meta stuff going in it as well. Yeah, I saw this one. It had a really big push on Board Game Geek. Every time I'd pull up the oh, Geek, yeah. I would see the initiative. Unfortunately, the box of it is just a silhouette of a head with some very nondescript silhouetted characters inside of it. Yeah. Like it would, it didn't grab me. Judge a book by its cover, but still, I I've been seeing that one around, so I'm glad to hear actually something about it. Yeah, I mean, there's a watch it played that goes over the rules, and it's like, wow, this looks great. 
And so it's, yeah, it's puzzly kind of having to get your moves correctly. And who knows what it adds in later games. I would definitely be interested in trying it, you know, once you have a copy. I'm not sure I'm ready to pull the trigger on it myself yet, but it, it looks interesting. From a board game standpoint, it's like it's not that expensive, right? Like it's like 60 bucks. Yeah. It's not a triple digit price tag. It's not a triple digit price tag. Yeah, totally. Cool. And is that out now or? Yep. You can buy it on Amazon like I just did. <laughs> <laughs> Score! All right, Frank gets a point. <laughs> Frank gets a point. Okay, cool. So, Jason, I'm excited to play that. Uh, I claimed it. <laughs> so, it looks it looks pretty sweet. I got two more games on here for you, Jason. Oh no, Frank! No, I figured this out. Actually, the entire point of this show was to, to sell make other Jason people buy games. board games. I mean, I'm really I dig the fact that Corey couldn't see it. Uh, whatever did it because i really like almost all their game design oh yes so totally yeah for those of you following at home we've started a drinking game in essence where every time (laughs) one of us gets another to to buy a game we're talking about they get a point play along don't you will be so wasted if you turn that into a (laughs) drinking game or so poor if you turn it into a buying board game yeah yeah (laughs) all right joe what do you want to sell jason on I mean, it's a game I already own, and so he doesn't need to buy it because I already own it. Joe, I'm going to stop you right there. When has that ever Ever stopped any of us? (laughs) Well, you know, choices. No, that's a Dune Dune Imperium. Yeah. Right. So we we got a chance to play that virtually one time over the pandemic, and I really would like to bring it to the table. Many games like that, I'm like, this game would just work better in human meat space, which, you know. The nature of many games. I bought a copy of that as well. But the copy we played of it was pretty... I, I had a lot of fun. I think it'll be a lot of fun to bring that game to the table and play it. I really like the mechanics. I really like the theme. It kind of hits on all levels for me. Yeah, it's a combination of worker placement and deck building that isn't as dry as that sounds. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, we like the universe. So yeah. They do a good job of kind of making the universe feel present and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's pretty nice. It is a very pretty game. It sure is. It sure mm-hmm. is. My next one is a little bit of a cheat because it is technically a game we have already played. Mike and Joe and Jason and I had an ongoing campaign game night that, you know, we were doing in the pre-pandemic days when we had just finished Madara and we were like, all right, what do we start on next? Oh, there's this Clank Legacy thing. That looks really good. We played one game (laughs) before we locked down. If I remember correctly, we also messed it up. We did a bad job in the first game. We did a real bad job. We did do a bad job, although I remember looking up at the time and saying it is not as disastrous as it looked. Okay. There are going to be ways for us to deal with that. It was a really fun experience. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of the Penny Arcade Guys Acquisition Inc. IP. I think that's a a fun storyline. It looked like the game has a lot of interesting things going on. I mean, Clank itself is generally fun. But honestly, it's just the fact that here's a really cool book you want to read. You can read the first chapter. Now I'm taking the book away for a year and a half. You guys tell me when. It's loose sitting in uh, my what, in my. What room. are you doing today, Joe? <laughs> Nothing? <laughs> yeah. That one's pretty <laughs> high up on my list. I bought a copy and just never made it to the table. Wah. I think that's actually better, Frank. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Agreed. It's really a Jason question, not a me yeah, question. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> to be 100% fair. I mean, honestly, that's the worst thing about this coming out of the pandemic is now we have to try and realign schedules again. I can already tell you it's going to be a nightmare. I somehow became more busy during the pandemic than pre-pandemic. Yeah. Well, you started doing stuff with more people because, like, you made a bunch of internet friends functionally. Well, but not only that, a lot of the stuff that we had going at, like, once a month condensed into once a week. Because if nobody's going anywhere, you have time. Right. So I think there's going to be some pain as we transition back to actual meat space. I mean, my plan is to just cancel everything with people who aren't in real human space. So, wow, just easier that way. I'm much like I'm much like uh, Jesse. I'm like if they're not in my periphery, I don't like they don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, internet friends, you got me through this pandemic, and I'm grateful for your time. (laughs) Now, fuck off. I mean, to be fair, I haven't made any internet friends that weren't already my in-person friends, (laughs) unlike Mike, who made that mistake. And so now he's got to navigate that. And the rest of us will just be like, nah, F it, let's play games on Wednesdays again. And Mike will be like, no! And I just want to say to our podcast listeners out there, 
you're still our internet friends. You are. That's true. Especially if we see you in person. I am more than happy to play a game with any of our listeners. Just ask. Like, I'm down. As long as that game is Arkham Horror. I mean... And only Arkham Horror. That will certainly not hurt, but like... Oh no, we'll teach you across the obelisk. Yes. Yes, we will. I think we already have. I mean, he still hasn't learned to to be a good cleric, but uh, we'll fix that. Oh, man, really? Wow. Wow, Brian just shots again. (laughs) Brian, I'm gonna need you to put your cannon away. Man, Brian got mean over (laughs) (laughs) there. I've always been this way. You just forgot. (laughs) All right, Jason, what's next on your list? Assuming you ever want to be in Meat Space with me again, since I'm so mean. I at mean. least need to see your new house at least once. <laughs> That's true. The next one, I'm, I'm honestly not going to have a lot to talk about, just because, hey, guess what? I haven't played it. Um, that's Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy. So this really? is your uh, kind of one of those quintessential 4X games. And, you know, playing a 4X game with just Courtney just seemed like an absolute <laughs> nightmare. So I wasn't going to try that. But essentially, like the idea is, you know, you represent some either human or alien empire you're trying to expand exploit exterminate and i always forget all the four x's um expand expand exploit explore exhume exhume Exhume. yeah Yeah, you you murder your enemies then you dig up their oh that's it we should do we should do a 5x game where you're all competing necromancers (laughs) and one of them is exhume the first 5x game (laughs) actually i think i've got that game already (laughs) of Of course course. you do frank of course you do (laughs) cave evil But this is re-implementation of the original Eclipse, which I think came out man, like 10 years ago or something. Yeah. And um, when it, the Kickstarter st- started off, I, I did a lot of research on it, and people really liked the original Eclipse. And this seems like a kind of a streamlined, easier-to-parse to version of that. Um, apparently, it doesn't have all the expansions of the original, but it has most of them. And what really appealed to me is a lot of the game is built around customizing your ships. I think you have like three or four ships, and it's like, hey, do I want to make this a ship that's based off of, you know, antimatter reactions? Or do I want to make this a missile boat? Or do I want to make this focused on lasers? And it's a lot of give and take, a lot of tactical decisions based on, you know, hey, here's the current state of the board. What do I want to do to to kind of improve my position over time? And, you know, it's nice that it has like an eight-round limit versus the nine-round limit of the original. I'm like, okay, cool. 4X game, make it shorter, lots of customization, lots of cool components. Like, they upgraded the crap out of this one. Like, oh, there's yeah. figurines of all sorts. And I was just like, oh, crap, I want this. But not not a game you want to play two-player, it seems. So I can't wait to play this with other people. Oh, yeah, I would so be in. I know the original and played the original quite a few times. It's, like, the perfect 4X game. I think it's so good. Wow. High praise. I have a copy of the original Eclipse. I don't think I've ever even punched it. Oh it's my! Like, it, it's like I've heard such good things about it, and I looked at it every time I pick up the rule book and start looking at it. My eyes just kind of <laughs> glazed over. Like I don't think I can do this. <laughs> oh no, no! It's actually pretty easy to teach and learn. Surprisingly straightforward once you see how it goes. Okay. But everything's so unusual; it's just baffling to try to get from the rules. I was taught so. Yeah, I think that type of game in general is definitely something you want to have someone teach you rather than try and read your way through it. Yeah, I tend to like these games quite a lot. Like, it's definitely, from what I understand, this is going to be a time commitment, but like, I'm fine with that. Like, I'll blow a Saturday going through one of these games. Like, I, I love them, but you can't two player these. You need, you need other people. <laughs> you yeah. need other it's people. It's not that there. bad. Six player game is four hours. Oh my gosh, really? That's less yep. than I would expect. That's entirely six reasonable. Six player. <laughs> it actually moves at a decent clip and um, surprisingly compact. I mean, there is no fat on this game. It's really good. Yeah, it's yeah I'm, I'm looking forward I to try it out. Love hearing that. I'm in. How about you, Mike? What's your next objective? I'm going to go to the Cosmos game. This is The Adventures of Robin Hood, which is actually made by the same guy that did The Legends of Andor, which is just a weird guilty pleasure for me <laughs> because... I'm just so intrigued and fascinated by the existence of that game that I I absolutely want more. So Michael Menzel does his own game design and artwork, which I find to be really impressive. And I just really like The Legend of Andor, so I'm hoping this is just more of that. I think having that cooperative puzzle-solving aspect that Legend of Andor had will actually be a lot better with the Robin Hood theme. I saw it and I'm like, of course, that makes total sense. 
it's everything I've heard on this is it's different than Andor in a different system and actually better than Andor. God, I'm, I'm sold. For oh, yeah. I've already purchased it. Stop. <laughs> I know. Same, same here. I've been totally getting it. It's got that same art style and I'm just in love with it. This game is yeah. adorable. So, Mike, Legends of Andor was a game I really wanted to like, but it was yeah. one of those, it was so puzzly, I felt like, hey, find the one solution to this problem. From what you've seen, or what maybe Frank has some input here, is this new one a little more flexible than that was? So, I can't speak on Robin Hood, because it, it is only out in German right now, and I have not done that much research into it. The English version, I think, is coming out in June. But what I will say is that the Legend of Andor actually came out with two subsequent boxes that was the same characters, the same story, just more. And I've heard that they tried to fix some of that in there. That's good. I'm not at all saying that Legend of Andor is a good game. It (laughs) definitely took me a minute to learn to love it, especially because it's got the big problem, and I've said this before, is that you think it's going to be like a high fantasy campaign game, and then you sit down to play it, and it's like, nope, it's a puzzle game. Let's yeah, go. Yep, <laughs> that was my experience. <laughs> yeah, this one has a hard, uh, basically branching story with a hardback book. Oh. And I know it's a different system. I do think it's a different game. I think so as well. And more exploration-y adventure So very different instead of that big tower defense thing in Andor. Again, I'm going to purchase it just because I want to give Michael Menzel more money because I want him to make more stuff. Yeah, totally. Seems fair. Who are you giving more money to, Frank? John DeClaire, actually. Okay. I'm a huge fan of John DeClaire's games. You know, Space Base, Edge of Darkness, and in this case, Cubitos, published by AEG. And it's a racing game with dice building. Okay. So you've got four tracks that come with it and a very cute cube theme going. So basically you're in a world of cubes and racing around a track. You basically have a pool of like 10 dice and you can roll and push your luck. The dice are actually pretty empty with only a couple of faces showing feet. Feet let you move. You also have coins, which let you buy new dice. And you can keep rolling until you get so many symbols. But if you roll and get all blanks on a roll, you're done for the turn and get some little per consolation prize. Oh, okay. Basically, that's it. So there are eight different dice you can draft each game to basically improve your pool of dice to do better and better. Those eight different dice types have seven cards each. And so... Each of those has seven options for what it can be. And they include sets, kind of like Edge of Darkness does. And each set plays really differently. So you've got not only sets of dice for what they do and how they change, but then the four tracks. That does remind me I want to play more Edge of Darkness. I really like that game. Yeah. this is. I played it two-player um, with Sandy. It wants more. It's not a very vicious game, but uh, you want a little bit of fighting over the dice. But it's a really nice kind of racing deck dice bag building thing that uh, I'm addicted to. And you're looking at, you know, a 45 to 60 minute game that's fun. Fun? I'm sorry. Am am I the only one that heard cube racing and immediately thought, well, if everything in the universe is made of cubes, who their wheels were? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. I'm just looking at some of the different cards and stuff and pictures on the geek and there's a character called Undercover Fish, and I think that's that's all I really need to know about this game. There's also a picture of a Swiss cheese wearing lederhosen on the cover. Named Bad Cheese, it seems. Or the cheese stands alone. Apparently there's variants. Yes. <laughs> See, it's weird, because when I heard that title, all I could think of it was that it was some sort of new nacho cheese snack food. Yeah. <laughs> Try new Cubitos from Frito-Lay. <laughs> Oh, wow, there's a crab named Jacques Cousteau. That's pretty great. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so a light game. That's nice to have. It's a light game. One of those things that, you know, shows up. And again, John DeClaire. (laughs) I'm pretty much on the entire complete. Gee, what's he doing next? Okay, I'll buy it. All right, Joe, what do you got? I'm tired of light games, Brian. (laughs) Yeah, because I know you play so many light games. I sit here, my hands stained, like, currently with wood glue, putting together (laughs) the box storage. For Tainted Grail. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm excited to play Tainted Grail. Yeah, I look forward to it. I've, I've finally, finally gotten got my mine. Copy, so <laughs> the audience is well aware of my feelings on that. 
statement. <laughs> but like ultimately, it didn't matter because the pandemic would have made it not possible to play it anyway. Right. So yeah, I have Tainted Grail and a whole bunch of expansions. And I'm really excited to give it a try. I know uh, Jason's been playing it with Courtney, so... Yeah, maybe one year we'll finish it. <laughs> <laughs> Could be this year, you never know. Uh, yeah, well, that's the plan. <laughs> I actually have a section of my shelves. You guys know that I have my gaming shelves organized by number of players. Obviously. Because that's the kind of nerd I am. <laughs> But I have a section set off to the side of sort of campaign-style games, and I've got Tainted Grail, Sleeping Gods, Gloomhaven Joe's the Lion, Aetherfields, you know, all this stuff kind of sitting over there. And it's like, I did some demo stuff of Aetherfields, and I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. Thankfully, they've made some play options that I think will make it easier. And Tainted Grail yeah. is another one It's like, that's a big commitment. I'm not sure... I hope I like it, because I don't like starting a game and not finishing it, but if I start a game and I'm not enjoying it, I'm not going to commit to a year and a half of play. When we decide to play it, I will want to have a discussion about how you guys want to play it, because there's definitely yep. grindiness that doesn't need to be there, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah, I've heard some online things about, like, there's some things you can do to functionally fix some of the grindiness that is just not valuable. Yeah. You can be like, hey, cool, we hear what you say about how the state of this thing always works, but what if the state of this thing wasn't that? Yeah, and that's like kind of the same thing that was going on with Aetherfield. There's like the story missions, for lack of a better term, have some really interesting stuff going on. And then there's a certain amount of just every time you make a loot through the city, you have a couple random fight encounters. And I don't think that's and a thing you, have you to need make to three do. three or four loops. Right, yeah. exactly. The thing I've read online is that, like, they have this bonfire thing. Yeah. Correct, the men hears. And whenever you find them, they're not lit. And the recommendation online is like, hey, if you want to, like, take out all the grinding, whenever you encounter a men here, it's just lit. It's fine. Mm -hmm. And that, like, lots of people are like, yeah, that really fixes a lot of the problems. <laughs> so. All right, I'm in. <laughs> Yeah, it probably does. Put it on the schedule. I've really enjoyed the story. That's probably the part that kept me going, because like, I really like what they're doing. It feels like a fully fleshed out story with interesting decisions. I know, yeah. The grinding is just like, oh, guys, this is not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we're on that topic, I'm going to put in the next one on my list, which is Sleeping Gods. Yes. I've talked about this one a lot, so I'm not going to get too deep into it. But I've played some of it online. You know, I did a little bit of solo exploration, and it's just a really neat – it's a big game. It's the sort of thing where you play through a given game, and you're trying to get as many of these totems as possible. And at the end of the game, depending on how many you have, you'll get a certain result. And then basically the next game starts from scratch with perhaps a few small modifiers. And How does the ongoing... Because like we started a game, we didn't actually finish it because mm -hmm. you know, time is a thing. We still can, yeah. We still will, I'm sure. But like when you restart the game, what, like, what is the effect there? I guess that's the part that is kind of interesting. I've only done the end game once in a solo game. And it was basically the start of the next game doesn't change, mm -hmm. but you know what you know. You know where things are. You've got various things you've encountered. So I, I think the premise is that in future games, you can sort of get started more efficiently because you know where stuff is. You can go farther out because you need to get like, I think, a minimum of six or seven totems to have a, a quote unquote successful ending to the game. And there's over a hundred of them in the game, so it's a big old map. And there's a mm -hmm. lot of games that are going to be taken to explore it all. The one thing that I'm a little concerned about is you start in the center part of the map, which is a relatively easy part to explore. And the farther away from there, you more the more dangerous it gets. The thing that I'm worried about is in future games, do I still have to kind of go through the rote cycle in those inner maps to get a couple key pieces of equipment and upgrades before expanding out, which would be less fun. Yeah, that's a valid concern. Yeah. That's the exact reason that like Kingdom Death was like, if you want to play a campaign of Kingdom Death, but you don't want to like do like your first five years of lion hunting, mm -hmm. here's all the stuff you need to not do that. Yeah, right? you're the just, same just kind of problem, start at right? point X. Yeah, I'm thinking that at some point, if it turns out that that's a thing for Sleeping Gods, I'm sure someone will come up with something similar. Maybe I'll even come up with something similar. Like here's, you know, here's where you might start. But it's really well written. It's an interesting world. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. And there's just a lot to explore. So I'm, I'm looking forward to exploring that some more. Yeah, I appreciate that some of our decisions have consequences. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. <laughs> Not to spoil it, but there was one thing I did in my solo game. At one point, I went to the city and met and talked to this one character who basically gave me a different way to win the game. Just, you know, you know this whole thing you're doing about collecting totems? Yeah, don't do that anymore. Do this. And I was just like, what? 
We had a similar experience, Brian. Remember when we found that city? We're like, oh, okay, new mission. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in that game, and I I can't wait to explore some more of it. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Like, I I love the combat system is really clever and unique, I feel. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's suitably difficult without being impossible. It's got a nice balance, I think. Yeah, the combat bit is really kind of cool, the way that you have to sort of figure out who's going to be attacking whom in what order and where you need to focus your attacks. It's a lot of fun. It is certainly my very favorite of Ryan Lockett's games. Yeah, no, I think it's probably his best developed. I could see that, yeah. It really comes down to figuring out which members of your party you hate and just letting them get punched (laughs) in the face all the time. (laughs) I think we literally have a character who's never done anything except take a hit for us. That is correct. (laughs) Yeah, I feel bad for her. I don't. I know. She made a decision. You You chose to be bad. You chose to be bad. (laughs) All right. I think we're back to Jason. Sure. Yeah, let's keep the uh, 4X train going here. This is a game I've played a a number of times, and I I really just want to play it again, mostly because I enjoy it so much, but partially because they've kind of updated the rules. And that's uh, Star Trek Ascendancy. Uh, And to be fair, Jason introduced me to this right before the pandemic started. That monster. And I was like, I'd love to play this again, and Jason's like, finally! And then, (laughs) never mind. Yeah, yeah, good old old lockdown. Basically, it's it's a 4X, but with a Star Trek flavor to it, right? It's from Gale Force 9, who I find make really fun games with some questionable rules (laughs) that need to get adjusted over time. I'm noticing a trend here in my favorite game companies. But uh, the idea is, you know, you you pick one of the the Star Trek races, right? It could be something like the Romulans, the Vulcans, the Andorians, uh, the Federation, which is apparently its own race, which is silly since you have the Andorians and the Vulcans as separate factions. I'm like, okay, don't know how that works. And, you know, you're exploring through the galaxy. You're trying to either acquire enough culture to ascend as a, you know, an ascendant race, or you're trying to conquer your opponent's homeworlds. Those are kind of the two victory conditions. And as you explore, you flip cards into the new systems that you discover, and then you have, you know, you have a random encounter with Q, and he's like, ha ha, hilarious, I'm going to throw you across the galaxy, and now you're over here. Or, you know, you can run into some other species who's like, oh, we are giving you our advanced knowledge, have some extra free culture for no reason. So it's a lot of random, which, you know, you just kind of have to roll with. But from what I understand recently, they've kind of updated the original rulebook. They've updated the Borg expansion, which I really enjoyed playing at Gen Con a couple years ago. And I really just, I just want to play it with all the all the new factions that I haven't really had a lot of experience with. The Borg expansion is like a one versus many variant, right? Where it's like everybody is against the Borg or something? Correct. Yeah, they're, they're kind of there just to be a detriment to everyone. But like defeating them gives you benefits, like you can harvest their technology and stuff like that. <laughs> in my Gen Con playthrough of it, uh, I was the Klingons, and unfortunately I had a Borg node spawn right outside my home system. So it was just a glorious Klingon war against the Borg for the entire game, <laughs> while the other people ran around collecting culture. But man, the Klingons were happy. They're like, this is great, it's non-stop fighting. Is it 1v many for the Borg, or is it many versus an AI? It's an AI. Usually it's kind of house rule that if your race gets eliminated, because that is possible, that you just start taking over the Borg and running them through, mm. but you're just following a script. You don't make any real decisions for them. But from my experience with them, like they're thematically pretty great. Like Every time you fight them, they get more dice to defend and attack with, so they keep getting better and better, which is pretty <laughs> cool. And they have all these transwarp nodes that could randomly spawn as you're exploring systems, so... You could luck out, and they could be very, very far from your home system, or they could be right next door, as in my experience. <laughs> it's a good game. Like it, it definitely has its problems, which is why they had to have just the uh, the rule book. But I think what I enjoy so much about it is that they really nail the, the flavor of the, the species, right? So, like, the Ferengi, who is a race you can play as, they cannot generate culture because they're Ferengi, but they can buy it. <laughs> oh, yes, they can. That's, mm-hmm. that's why I played when we uh, did our, our game at your gaming event. Yeah, yeah. And like the Vulcans, they can't lie and they have alternate winning conditions. Instead of achieving ascendancy, they have two little Vulcan goals that they can accomplish. One of them's face up and one of them's face down. So you never know what the Vulcans are doing, but they can't lie. So if you ask them a direct question, they either have to not answer it or give you the truth. That's a lot of little clever nods, like clearly whoever designed the game knows their stuff, and they know the characters and the races in and out, and they do a good job of sprinkling that into the encounters and into their technologies. Everyone feels like they play a lot differently than than others, which I really appreciate. And um, I don't know, I, I heard a rumor that they're planning on doing a Dominion expansion at some point, which I would be all over. <laughs> oh, cool. Mike, you have anything exciting for us? Well, my last one is going to be Time Stories Revolution. 
Time Stories is a narrative game that Joe and I were playing with friends of the podcast, Ben and Page. And it is a puzzle in a box narrative about time travel, which is like literally everything we love. <laughs> and the revolution is the continuation of the story that picks up at the exciting climax of the first series of games. And it consists of what, three boxes, Joe? It's three thus far, yeah. Okay. I'm just excited to play more time stories. I, that It's a great game. Needs better translators, but great game nonetheless. Yeah, I haven't played any of the new The Blue series. Have you guys played any of them? Nope. Okay. They're sitting on my shelf. It'll be an adventure for all of us. <laughs> I've heard good things about it on the internet. Like, it does a good job of fixing some of the initial kind of, let's call it weirdness with the rules, but then also going in interesting directions with the new mechanics and everything. It's a little bit more character-focused than the previous version, whereas the last version you would, like, hop between receptacles and this is a little bit more character focused which i've heard to be good but i haven't had a chance to sit down with it i'm anxious to try it i mean i did like the way they explored the mechanics in a lot of interesting directions in the first series some more successful than others but still interesting yeah one of the things i really like about that game is i've always felt like good bad or indifferent every one of those games definitely felt like they were always swinging for the fences Mm -hmm. they might not have been successful but it always felt like they were trying i really appreciate that from like a game design standpoint yeah it was also neat because you really didn't know what to expect it's like okay I know how to fundamentally play this game, but I really don't know what's going to happen once we start. So that's a very cool feeling. They even take it a little step further, right? Like, first of all, the art is phenomenal to begin with, but like each module, the art reflects what the modules are around, right? Mm-hmm. That, I, I like the little touches like that, especially in a game where mostly you're just interacting with characters and locations. It's nice to go that extra step where it's like, hey, this art is consistent throughout this single module, and it reflects what this module is, is about specifically. Yep. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with what Joe was saying, though, is that like you can tell that every one of their scenarios, they are vastly different from each other, but all operate off of these same mechanics, which, again, mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Yeah. All right. I think we have time for one more from the last couple people. So, Frank? I'm going to go for Stardew Valley. Um, this is your Animal Crossing farming sim computer game turned into a board game that is a bit of a surprise since it was designed by someone who's you know heavily involved with the original computer game development team. And this is weird because it plays like a co-op adventure game. Really, you're kind of wandering to various places on the land. There's no exploration because everything's there, but you're mostly just kind of rolling dice to fish or collecting resources to deal with your animals, farming, going into the mines has its own little mini-game involving rolling three dice and doing some Yahtzee things. But it's weird. It's a little longer, so you're looking at two to three hour kind of adventure game length. There's no violence. It's just pleasant and happy and surprisingly addictive because you're always trying to figure out with your moves where's the best to go right now and having to work with a group. We've played it with two, and I think it actually does want three or four to make things a little trickier. But there's a a lot of kind of uh, Animal Crossing. You're buying gifts for friends. Basically, will then give you permanent powers. Frank, it's cruel for you to tell people about this game, considering that it's A, sold out, and B, going for literally five times the normal value (laughs) on eBay. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's going for 250 bucks. It's ridiculous. Oh, wow. Their initial print room was not large enough, and it is a known issue, but... Also, they're not going to do anything about it. I mean, like, they'll probably do a second print run eventually, but Mm -hmm. right now it's in that weird interim state where it's like they haven't done the second printing yet, and the universe isn't sure if they're going to do a second printing or not, though it seems pretty likely. Yeah, but, like, when you see Buy It Now is going for $250, like, come on, guys, it's going to come out eventually. Just wait. So instead, are you going to let me talk about Rule the Realm, which you can buy right now on Amazon? (laughs) No. Are you trying to sell me on something else, Frank? This is Frank's method of squeezing in an extra game on the list. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) What is it? All right. It's an abstract game for two to four players where you stretch rubber bands across pegs. You basically have a hand of cards and the pegs all have symbols on them. And you're trying to claim territory by stretching the rubber bands around pegs. And that gets you coins and energy, which give you, you know, energy gives you extra turns. Coins are actually just victory points. But mostly you're kind of doing some hand management and playing with little rubber bands that you're stretching around pegs. There are also eight different games in the box. (laughs) 
comes with little mats that go over the base plastic board and completely change the rules and style of the game. That may be the most Frank Branham game <laughs> I have ever heard of. It's being published in the U.S. by Pressman. It's actually designed by a Russian company and, you know, got a passable buzz at Essen, but then just wasn't available in the U.S. until suddenly... Pressman brought it in with no advertising. No, no one's heard of it. That's kind of an awesome little game. It's only like 30 bucks. That's crazy. Oh, totally. And worth every penny. I'm sorry, Frank. Are you telling me that somebody gamified one of those like elementary geometry boards? Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm only mad because I didn't think of the idea myself. (laughs) I know. It's a really simple game. You play cards to figure out which tags are stretching your band between. And uh, that's it. And stuff you surround, you get to claim. Do you get to, like, cut each other's rubber bands or force them to stretch too far so they snap? Put no, someone's eye it's out. Violent. It's no. oh, yeah, you can definitely put someone's eye out. <laughs> that's that's a legacy edition where you, you also get a pair of scissors. Yeah, yeah. The, the permanent changes are scars to your opponent. <laughs> yeah, but it's even got like clear translucent acrylic meeples and uh, table scatter energy crystals. So it's surprisingly nicely done for its 30 bucks. Huh. All right, Joe, top that. <laughs> <laughs> No. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, really. (laughs) So one game I'm very interested to get to the table, technically by the time this episode airs, it will have arrived, is Oath Chronicles of Empire and Exile, which is one of the games by the Leader... Leader? 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 I think it's Leader. I think it's Leader. Leader? Leader? Oh, I don't know. Leader. None of us know. (laughs) None of us know. But But we all like them. They do good games. (laughs) They do good games. Good game. Good game company. More importantly, designed by Cole Worley, who who also do good games. Mm -hmm. Who who do real good games. It's got a legacy component to it, and we did the demo, and the demo was a lot of fun, and like, what? Well, they're explaining, like, wow, there's a lot going on here. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, there's a lot going on in that game. I'm really excited to get at the table and kind of go through the story and get a chance to figure it out. It's interesting, because, I mean, you say it's a legacy component, but it seems to me that it's more like the last game influences this game. It's not so much that there's permanent changes. There's just, like, ebb and flow. I think there probably are some permanent changes. When they talked about it, they certainly implied heavily that, like, there's some legacy pieces, like stuff okay. you will unlock over the course of the game. Right, yeah, cool. there are additional cards that are added to the decks semi-permanently or whatever. So as you keep playing, you keep evolving the deck over time. Oh, cool. Yeah. It has the staple of that company's mechanics, which is, like, less so in this game, but, like, everyone has an asymmetric position inside the game. Mm-hmm. So everybody's turns are potentially different. One person's, like, the leader of that age, and Everybody else could either be vassals or be rebels from that person, and those positions can swap around some during the course of the game, which is fun. Yeah, no, I definitely am looking forward to that. I've started becoming a Cole Worley fan. I'm really fascinated by his game concepts. In practice, I often find them a little more complicated than I'm happy with on first glance, but I usually get into it when it's going. I did pick up a copy of the new version of Pax Pamir, which is also one that I'm looking forward to playing at some point. I've played it. It's awesome. Yes, I think you're the one that sold me on it. (laughs) You don't get retroactive points, though. Points start today. That's not the last one on my list, though. The last one I want to talk about is getting back to a slightly lighter game style, which is Search for Planet X. I am a sucker for deduction games, and this one just looks really interesting. It's sort of an app-driven deduction game where you're basically competing astronomers trying to figure out where Planet X is. And there are all these sectors around the board that may contain comets or gas clouds or dwarf planets or asteroids or nothing. And basically, each turn, you're sort of exploring a sector or a group of adjacent sectors and learning something about what's in them and trying to figure out which one contains Planet X. Not only are you doing your own sort of deduction, you know, go in the app, hey, what's in Sector 17? Okay. But, like, you know what is in a sector or what can be in a sector based on what's the one around it. Like a gas cloud, at least one of the sections adjacent to that has to be truly empty. And if you find a dwarf planet, you know planet X is not adjacent to it and stuff like that. Also, periodically during the game, you have to publish your theories, which can potentially give other people information if you're correct. And they go through a whole peer review process where you find out if your your theory is correct or not. It just looks like it's a neat, well-put-together, thematically coherent deduction game. And I'm a sucker for those, so I want to actually play this one. Did you get the one with the deluxe components? 
I don't there are deluxe components. Think uh, I'm so? looking at a picture that says regular versus deluxe components in Board Game Geek. God damn it, Jason. <laughs> Brian, your game is not good enough for Jason. <laughs> Wait, are you going to sell us on our own game? <laughs> yes, that's two points, right? <laughs> I have the cardboard pieces and mm. not the plastic pieces. Yeah, judge, same judgment, here. Judgment. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Judgey, judge, judge, judge. Right, oh, but there's an upgrade, an upgrade pack. pack so I can get that if I feel it necessary, <laughs> which I don't right now because I haven't played the game yet. Do you not, though? I haven't played the game yet. Shut up. Okay, Jason, Jason's <laughs> got his challenge to get points. <laughs> I'm currently losing, so I have to do something. <laughs> Swinging for the fences. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our episode here. So, dear listeners, if we've made you buy any new board games, we're kind of sorry. No, we're not. But also kind of not because we like board games. Also, you let us know so we can get points. points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if there are some new games coming up or games that you're really anxious to get to the table that we haven't mentioned that you want to tell us about, tell us about them. Post them on our Facebook group or uh, make comments on the webpage, ascentofboardgames.com, if you haven't noticed. Give us some opinions. Let us know what you think. What should we talk about more? Until then, everybody stay safe, get vaccinated if you haven't already, and play some board games. Have fun. Bye, everyone. Talk to you next month. Bye. 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 We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. I mean, if we want to turn this into an ASMR podcast, we can. Let's but please not. It's a weird change. <laughs>